welcome to The REIT Report. I'm your host, Sarah Borgson-Quito. One of the sectors most negatively impacted in the early days of the pandemic was the hotel and lodging sector. Things have shifted quite a bit since then, and here to help us understand those changes is my guest, Kevin Davis, CEO of JLL Hotels and Hospitality Americas. Prior to his current role, Kevin led JLL's Hotel Investment Banking Group and has over 20 years of hospitality and capital markets experience. Kevin, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Last year saw some really significant improvement in how the hotel lodging sector performed, with investment volume particularly strong. What were the factors behind those gains, and how is the industry positioned in early 2022? Absolutely. So last year was an extraordinarily strong uh, acquisitions year, certainly much stronger than we expected coming out of 2020. Uh, That volume was driven by a number of factors. I think, first of all, was just the amount of capital on the sidelines that had been allocated to take advantage of of opportunities in the sector. If you go back in early 2020, uh, the expectation was that there was going to be a significant amount of distress. That distress never came to fruition, but there'd been a lot of capital that had been aggregated to take advantage of the distress. So there was a meaningful amount of capital on the sidelines uh, prepared to deploy into the space, particularly in the private equity space, which which uh, uh, accounted for about 50% of all the transaction volume. Also, we saw the REITs uh, become very active in, in 2021, which have a low cost of capital. So uh, the, the fact that the REITs participated really helped drive pricing. Uh, and then you saw foreign capital um, selectively get back into the space. So from a capital perspective, those were the big drivers. Um, from an operating performance perspective, look, you saw drive to leisure resorts uh, perform exceptionally strong in a number of markets. The performance outpaced 2019. And many hoteliers, again, particularly at resorts, uh, were able to achieve average daily rates well in excess of, of what anyone would have expected. Uh, so that that strong operating performance um, was, was driven in part by the pent-up demand. Uh, look, the, the lockdowns took place in, in 2020. People started to get vaccinated in early 2021. And over the course of the year, I think people wanted to get out and they wanted to vacation. Uh, and they wanted to resume their normal lives. And so that led to strong demand on the part of the consumer, as well as we had an exceptionally strong uh, response by both the the Fed and Congress with the loosening of monetary policy and then also passage of a significant amount of stimulus, which put money in the pockets of consumers directly. So I think those factors collectively uh, resulted in in strong consumer demand, which drove operating performance, which which led to uh, led to led to record pricing. And to to that point, if you look at 2021, I mean, there were 14 assets that traded at north of at a million dollars a key or greater, which is unprecedented, particularly considering. Uh, in 2020, even for strong assets, I mean, you, you generally had compromised operating performance. So if you look back on a trailing 12-month perspective, maybe the trailing 12-month performance wasn't wasn't as strong. But people, investors, really bought into uh, the upside story, the resort story, which led them to buy resorts at a big price per key, 
and luxury at a big price per key. Can you talk about the relative performance of different properties segments within the hotel sector? Are the gains we're seeing consistent across all property types? Very inconsistent. Uh, in, in fact, you, you've seen these striations in how different types of properties have performed. Uh, again, with, with resort properties and particularly luxury properties, uh, non-urban more specifically, generally performing incredibly well. You've also seen extended stay assets perform exceptionally well. It was interesting, one of the bigger trades last year was uh, Blackstone and Starwood's acquisition of uh, the Extended Stay Americas portfolio, ESA. Uh, That was north of $6 billion, and that was on the strength of the relatively strong performance of that sector and the expectation that the performance in that sector will continue. And then also more recently this year, there was an announcement that uh, Blackstone and Starwood again are acquiring a portfolio of Wood Spring Suites, uh, which are economy extended stay assets, so slightly lower lower down the chain scale compared to extended stay America, but still extended stay product with a kitchen on strong operating performance coming out of COVID with the expectation that that performance will continue. So big picture, I would say it's it's been resorts, luxury, extended stay have been among the outliers. The sectors that have lagged have been assets that generally cater to group and business transient, which demand uh, is still in the nascent stage of of recovering. So uh, particularly in urban markets, urban big group houses, demand for that asset class has lagged. Now, um, to that point though, we expect that in 2022, you will see demand. First of all, you'll see operating performance of those types of assets pick up as we look at the pacing for a lot of the group houses that we have information on. Uh, We're seeing a particularly strong second half of 2022 as we move beyond the Omicron variant and hopefully COVID goes from being a pandemic to an endemic. Interestingly, yesterday you saw governors of a number of quote-unquote blue states announce the loosening of restrictions around mask mandates. So I I think that portends a getting back to normal, which is important for business, uh, getting people back into the office. And it's also incredibly important for the business traveler and important for group meetings. So I think you're you're going to see a strong pickup in in business transient and group demand, which is going to propel trades on some of the larger assets uh, and also urban markets. I think the other component that has yet to come back, but but hopefully will, particularly as we we move beyond uh, beyond COVID, is demand from international travelers. I think that the recovery of that demand segment will probably occur over a several years period. It will be determined by location and geography, and what their particular policies are related to COVID. But I would I would argue that's probably the last segment that um, that we will see a return to. But we expect to start to see that in uh, in 2022 and, and building over time. Where are you seeing investment interest coming from and how would you describe capital market conditions for the sector? I would say very strong. My legacy is I've spent a lot of time, much of my time in hospitality in the debt space. So I track it incredibly closely. And look, we saw a tremendous recovery in the financing markets for hospitality through the first half into well into the summer of 2021. I tell you that debt spreads probably compressed 
by 100 to 250 basis points over the course of the first six or eight months of the year. As operating performance started to improve, you saw liquidity return to the market. The banks got back into the market. The debt funds were active lenders. The CMBS market came back to life. So you saw a significant uptick in debt financing availability and also the cost of that debt came in. Uh, as we got deeper into the year, uh, particularly as, as Delta hit, I would say the, the spread compression arguably stopped and we, we've seen spread stabilize uh, over the course of the balance of 2021 and in 2022 right now, I'd say we're in a we're in a pretty good place. I haven't seen spreads come in, but I think we're in a good place in terms of there's a lot of capital on the debt side that that's available to invest. We have a lot of debt product in the market right now, as do our competitors, and uh, a lot of it, frankly, is being uh, better received than than we thought. Uh, just given the volume, uh, usually when there's too much supply of paper, spreads gap out a bit, but we haven't really seen that. So we feel very optimistic about uh, the continued availability of, uh, of debt capital here. Labor and supply chain shortages have been a challenge for some time now. How is the hotel sector coping? Look, th- this is this is one of the biggest challenges that, that our industry faces. It's interesting because we frequently use 2019 as a benchmark from an NOI perspective, ADR perspective, occupancy perspective. It's interesting, but at the end of the day, it's not determinative or dispositive on hotel operating performance, frankly, because the cost structure is very different today than it was in 2019. Over the course of of 2020, you saw a tremendous increase in focus on asset management, which was critical for the survival of of the asset class. Owners, managers had to figure out how to cut costs and how to operate more efficiently. So I think we, we have an improved operating model from an efficiency perspective. However, the counterbalance has been, there's a shortage of labor, and there's been upward pressure on wage rates and the cost of utilities, et cetera. So we, we are having to figure out how to deal with that, how to properly staff hotels, again, particularly resorts, where you've seen a material increase in demand, correspondingly an increase in, in rate. So you've got consumers going to hotels, paying rates that are higher than they've ever been, and yet, because of staffing shortages, it's hard to service those guests, rather. So I think the phenomena that, that we're, we're grappling with is rates are up for a lot of assets, which is great. But at some level, you can't continue to push rate while not offering high-quality service. So that's really the conundrum and the challenge that, that we're working through. I, I think the fear of many hoteliers is that the rate will be there, the occupancy will be there, but because of these increased costs and inflation, I mean, you look at the headlines today, January inflation, 7.5% on an annualized basis, which is the highest it's been in 40 years. That's a real issue. So rate may be there, op may be there, but it's what happens in the middle of the P&L such that you can drive profitability. That is clearly a, a big challenge. A term we're hearing about now is the hotelization of commercial real estate. Can you explain what that means and what it could lead to? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And look, we, we are seeing the real merger of different property types. What that means is, is it's now important for owners of other asset classes to offer hotel-type services, additional amenities, because the consumer is focused not just on the physical space, but how one feels in the space. 
And so it, it's, it's really attempting to meet this emerging consumer demand for what they want in an office building or a meeting space or you know, a retail situation, a workspace. So that's, that's what it means. And at the end of the day, you know, it's fascinating. I look at what's going on in the residential space right now. And obviously, home prices have gone up pretty significantly, and there are a lot of different reasons. But I would make the case that the home is becoming much more multifunctional. And I think you can analogize that to what's going on in, in the commercial real estate space in the sense of the home is no longer just a place for you to sleep. It's now a place where people are working either full time or a couple of days a week. So it's now lodging plus office. Given Amazon and the plethora of opportunities to shop online, it's now retail as well. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people are installing that have the luxury of space and resources are installing gyms. So you, you have you have that sector. So if you take a step back and think about it, you've got a multiple of, of, of commercial real estate asset classes being combined in the home. You've got lodging, you've got office, you've got retail, and you've got other commercial. So if you layer that on to what's going on in the travel space, clearly we have these defined sectors, but a person that goes to a hotel now who has the flexibility to work from home or work from anywhere will demand that there be a good place to work in the space where they're sleeping. I don't know that a nice desk in a hotel room is necessarily going to cut it. So I think we're going to have to figure out a way to offer that consumer additional amenities that facilitate working from a different location. Now, what that does is potentially you reduce business transient demand, but you also have a merging of demand where a person travels not just for work and not just for leisure. They travel for both. So maybe what would otherwise be characterized as a leisure stay, for example, I'm going to Miami for a couple of days to enjoy the sun in the winter. I may end up staying an extra three, four, five days because I have the flexibility to work from anywhere and I'll stay there to work. So now my leisure trip has also turned into a business trip. But the place where I'm sleeping, I also want that to be a good place where I have where I can work. I can set up a desk. I can do Zoom calls. I've got access to other office amenities, et cetera. So those those are the types of things or the types of features and amenities that I think as a hotel industry, we need to think about it. The same thing for people that are going into into offices. Look, they, they want, you know, flexible meeting space. They want not just the desk, but they want meeting space, a space to do Zoom, a space for people to kick back and relax, a kitchen, a space that feels more like a home. As you're seeing a merging of work and play and living, I think our asset class needs to respond to that. And commercial real estate generally needs to respond to that. So that's, to me, a challenge but also a tremendous opportunity for our, for our industry. The way I like to think about it is if you control the bed, if you control where people sleep, that's the most important component. From there, you can layer in the office component and you can layer in some of these other components. But at the end of the day, we all have to sleep. So I think hotels are in a great space because we control the beds in phenomenal locations. So if we can add these additional amenities that people want when they travel, I think the industry is in a, in, in a tremendous place to be uh, to be successful as as demands change from the consumer. And talking about change, can you tell us about the impact of other possible disruptors to the traditional lodging model? I, I think those, for example, the short term rental space, the folks that offer 
flexible apartment-like accommodations where they rent by the night, by the week, by the month. Look, I, I think those are, are certainly real alternatives to or substitute for traditional hospitality lodging, and it's something that I think the industry needs to needs to pay careful attention to. Obviously, some of the brands have, have gotten into the short-term rental stay with their own with their own programs, so they're they're dabbling in the space. But I think it's something to watch. Again, going back to my example, where if people have the flexibility to move to a new loca- location for a month or six months or a year, but they're not committed to living there. You have to ask yourself, where, where are they going to stay? Particularly if it's a, let's you know, three or four months, typically shorter than a than a multifamily lease, and certainly much longer than a hotel stay or even an extended hotel stay. So, do do we have the product to accommodate someone that wants to move to a location for three months? I would say that certainly from a short-term rental perspective, Airbnb, Sonder, they've got the product. But to me, that's where that's where the opportunity is for us as an industry, hospitality to offer product that is well-priced for someone to stay three, four, five, six months. And again, I think that's why you've seen you've seen a strong play and strong valuations on this extended stay space. Some of this product will meet that demand. I don't think there's enough of it, and I don't think it meets all of that type of demand, but some of it meets, meets a, a component of that demand. So to me, that's certainly the opportunity set. I think some of these these companies out there are disruptors. They're, they're not pure substitutes for hospitality, but they are providing for a type of demand that I think exists and will grow in the future, which is, again, where the opportunity is for our space to, to meet that demand as it emerges. Now, Kevin, we've covered a lot of interesting ground, but is there anything that you'd like to add? Look, I'd say 2022 is... Our expectation is that it's going to be a, an incredibly strong year from a transaction perspective. As I look at our pipeline between sales and financing, we have over $12 billion. This is just in the U.S. of both sales and financing that we're working on. Biggest pipeline that we've had since since 2015, which was a record year from a transaction volume perspective. So if, if we are, we at JLL are a proxy for the market, my expectation is that you'll see a lot of transactions this year. We'll see strong pricing in the drive-to resort markets, as we've seen in 2021. And I also think that you will start to see a recovery in operating performance in urban markets, uh, big box group assets, as well as a recovery in pricing of urban assets and and big box and and assets that are uh, focused on the business transient traveler. Kevin, thanks so much for your time. Absolutely. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. And to our listeners, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave a review or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. 